praises. It's good to see everybody back as well. Amen to that. Thank you, Lord, for the healing. And uh, we just thank you for your strength and mercy. Um, we want to remember Raul and Nina this morning. They're still not feeling too good. And then Teresa has a sister-in-law named Melissa who's in the hospital in a coma. We'll pray for her and uh, pray that God would work in that situation as well. So Anyway, we're going to be, I'm sorry, I didn't give you a page number yet. We're going to be on uh, page 634 of the Bible, Church Bible, 634, Psalm 28, verses 6 through 9. <clears throat> page 634. 
beginning of verse 6. Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise him. The Lord is their strength, and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're just overwhelmed this morning of your goodness, of your mercy, of your long-suffering, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to reach out uh, to us and to those others around us, Lord, who need your mercy and your grace. So we bless you for the day. We thank you for uh, time to get together. What a blessed day it is to be in your house. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would be in power and be in might here today and that our ears and our eyes would be open by your hand that we would receive your word today. We bless you for this time. We can come together and give you all praise. And Lord, just like the scripture says, that you would um, provide strength forever. Lord, help us to understand more of what that means and how big your forever is. We bless you. We lift up Raul and Nina today. Pray, God, you would give them strength. And, Lord, for Melissa, Lord, um, we never know what you're doing, Lord, but we trust and know that you are still God. And we pray that your mighty will would be uh, fulfilled in every situation and your name be lifted up. We bless you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you for these that are here. And uh, we pray, God, that you would uh, just give us your mercies today as we come to get a word from you. In your holy name, Lord, we pray all these things, Lord Jesus. Amen.
Okay, well, um, as we were singing back there, um, I felt like the Lord was talking to me about something that I think the church needs to be uh, leading in this place. And uh, so this place of the coronavirus and all of our church has pretty much been affected by that over the last few weeks and lots of sickness and and um, you know people talk about this being from China and it's true I think it was started there whether it was started intentionally or not I think remains to be seen but what I want to say is God allowed it God has allowed it and he's allowed it, as we kind of talked on Friday night, for us to be able to see what is inside of us and what God is doing and showing us that might be something that he wants to cleanse out of us. So anytime there is a, um, a situation that um, causes a sickness or disease or, or uh, trials, or God is wanting us to look inside and to see what he might be wanting to move out of us and cleanse us from. So he allowed this sickness to rampantly run across the world, and he's allowed it to uh, touch each one of us. And so I was listening, I said, Lord, what is it you're trying to say? And he says, I'm calling people to forgive this place where this was started. I'm allowing it. I have a purpose in it. But we have to forgive the nation that started this place. I think that is a difficult place across our country. I think we have a tendency to want to blame and hold a place of fault. And I believe God is saying today, he's calling the church to forgive and to trust in what he's doing and to look inside for the places he's teaching each one of us. Amen. There's a reason why our hope remains eternal. 
There was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets. To a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Praise the Son. Praise. 
Well, good morning, my friends. I am so excited to be with y'all today. It has, uh, it has been a good time um, of rest, but it has been too long. So we will be in Philippians chapter 3 today, if you're in the church's Bible, on page 1350. So if you would turn with me there, Philippians chapter 3, page 1350. So I don't know about each of you, but the Lord talks to me in some of the most random things. Um, I, don't, I don't know if that's because there's just a lot to talk to me about, um, but the Lord talks to me as I've shared with y'all in my yard, in my car, and um, believe it or not, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, side note. The Cowboys are in the playoffs and playing tomorrow night at 7.15. And the Cowboys have done some pretty remarkable things this season. Um, I realize we're not all viewers of them, and that's okay. Uh, At one point, they had the best defense in the league. They have beat a couple of the better teams in the league on the road. Um, They've beat good teams with a backup quarterback, their own backup quarterback. And they lead the league in turnovers right now. At the same time, they've done some ridiculous things. Their quarterback leads the league in interceptions thrown. Twice they have tied bad teams and lost to them in overtime. And last week they lost 26-6 to to a team playing their third-string quarterback and many backup players. This is the Dallas Cowboys. If I were to assign a spiritual condition to the Cowboys, it would be passivity. They are oftentimes incredibly undisciplined. They seem to make crucial mistakes at the very worst times. They play down to the level of their opponent. And they get comfortable, and so they play not to lose instead of playing to win. I think that the reason I get most frustrated with them is because I see myself in them. Highs and successes struck down by miscues and misjudgments. But how grateful I am that this is indeed just a game. And the Cowboys are just a team that the Lord uses to illustrate some things to me. Our lives, on the other hand, are not a game. There is no point for us in which we can spiritually arrive and just maintain our lead. Quite the opposite, there are things that the Lord has in store for each one of us. New freedoms, new spiritual gifts, new truths, new ministries, and deeper levels of spiritual maturity. As we'll study today, we have to press forward. We have to grab a hold of these things. These things are in store for us, but they will not be forced on us. I pray today that we would, we would decide what we want. 
that our minds would be made up, that we would want the things that the Lord has prepared for us, that we won't assume a spiritual accomplishment, but that we would be desperate for more. The background for our passage today, it revolves around a worldly idea that the church at the time had misapplied as something to spiritually achieve. It's called perfection. The word for perfection is a common Greek word, teleo. You can actually think of it where we get the word telescope. It it means an end. It means to reach an end, to reach a final stage. And it has the idea of a course or a race. And it means to finish. For the past 2,000 years, there has been great theological discussion around this idea. It's also understood more commonly as sanctification. The Greek word for sanctification is hagiosmos, and it it comes from this idea of holiness, of being set apart, of being sanctified. The danger with these two ideas, with perfection and sanctification, is that they existed in a world in the first century, with the wisdom of the day and with pagan religions. The Hellenistic world that we've talked about was full of different philosophies, most of which were rooted in this idea of religious perfection or salvation. And so this can seem awfully close to our commandments to be perfect, therefore, because our Heavenly Father is perfect, or to be holy because he is holy. In our study today, Paul is going to cut through the wrong understanding of this worldly perfection. And he's going to point us instead to what he calls spiritual maturity. So let's read together in Philippians chapter 3. We'll read verses 12 through 16. Paul says, Not that I have already attained... Or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not recount myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching toward those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. You all know how much I love Paul's run-on sentences. He writes here, without taking a breath or a pause in between his thoughts. It's as if he is trying to play all the notes at one time because he doesn't really want to focus on any one thing and allow us to lose understanding with another. He doesn't want to confuse us by spending too much emphasis on one thing and allowing another to lose steam. So he's saying all of these things simultaneously so that we can, well, 
so that we can be confused physically and spiritually press into what the Lord is saying. To begin, I want to point out the idea of perfection that really, it bookends this passage. So in verse 12, he says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. So he begins this passage with this idea of perfection. This word here for perfection is what we've already talked about. It is the Greek verb teleo, which means to be perfect. Then if you look down in verse 15, he says, Therefore, let us, as many as are mature. This word here for mature that we read, it's translated mature, but it's an adjective that comes from the Greek word teleo. So it's an adjective that comes from the verb, and it essentially means to be perfect. It means to be at one's end, to have concluded something. Here our translators use the word mature, or other translations say spiritually mature. And I think that's very good that they do that, because there is a distinction between these two words, but at their core... They have the same meaning, perfection. So Paul gives us a paradox, doesn't he? He begins by saying he is not perfect. And he concludes by including him in this grouping and says, in another sense, he is. We'll come back to this idea, but I want you to see how this passage is composed because these bookends of perfection influence the meat in the middle. We're to understand the things that Paul says in this tension of imperfection and perfection. The next thing I want to mention is the, the directions that, that Paul gives. Um, he, is, he is not a guy that is short on words. And it's as if he got out his thesaurus and looked up all the words he could to describe the directions so that we would not misunderstand what he's saying. In verse 12, he says, I press on. Some translations will say onward or forward. In verse 13, you can look, he says, forgetting those things which are behind. Also in verse 13, he says, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Also, in verse, then in verse 14, he says, I press toward the goal. Also in 14, he says, for the upward call. It's important to see all these directions that Paul gives, on, behind, forward, ahead, toward, and upward. And with the exception of what he says in verse 13, forgetting those things that are behind, all of these routes are going in the same direction toward God all of them in order to understand Paul's instructions in order to understand his advice regarding perfection we must understand the, that the route is directionally towards God this may seem simple and straightforward but in a first century culture that revolved around this perfection that was attainable through works and through wisdom and through understanding. 
in the 21st century that we live in that has misapplied spiritual achievement. This truth bears repeating. Regarding perfection, we must follow the route that leads to God alone. So let's look at what Paul is saying. In verse 12, let's read together. He says, not that I have attained, already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He is humbly explaining that he has not arrived. He says he has not already attained or already been perfected. And I believe what Paul's doing is connecting what he's saying to what we studied a few weeks ago. You know, Paul said that if anyone has right to boast in the flesh, it would be him more so. But he says that's not what he's doing. Instead, what Paul's concern is being found in Jesus, is knowing him and the power of his resurrection, is being conformed to his death. So I think at the very least what Paul's saying is he's not been perfected. All of these things have not been achieved in their entirety and their fullness. Not to say that they're not happening, but they're not complete yet. I think Paul is exercising modesty. He's not a spiritual slouch, is he? In fact, if anyone would have reason to think that they had achieved this type of perfection, Paul might seem a prime candidate, wouldn't he? He's not apathetic either, and he's not arrogant. But he is deep enough to understand the depths that exist to the spiritual things of God. So he says he presses on in verse 12. And the reason is that he may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid a hold of him. Now this seems like a a, a complex sentence where who's doing what here? Well, both Jesus and Paul are doing. Jesus has laid a hold of Paul for a reason. And Paul doesn't want to just assume that those things are happening. He wants to then lay a hold of Jesus for those things that Jesus has in store. These words here, attained, perfected, grab a hold of, these are Greek words of war. And in military context, they're used to describe the pursuit of one army by another. It's interesting how often Paul uses warlike language to describe being a follower of Jesus. We are at war, not only against the enemy, but against ourselves that might be influenced by the enemy. Paul uses language like he is a general seeking after another army to go after the things of God. Together, these words explain his single-mindedness to pursue this goal. And his goal is to receive Christ's goal. His desire is that the things which Christ has desired for him would be done. I love this word phrase that he uses. He says, that I may lay hold of. Paul's not just interested in run-on sentences. He's interested in double compound words. 
And he uses this phrase that describes grasping. It describes seizing, tightly holding, apprehending to aggressively grab hold of something. The picture that this paints of salvation is amazing. Because God has laid hold of each of us. He has apprehended us. That's language like catching a prisoner. He holds us and he seizes us. But not to that end, but for a purpose. I want to look at some of the reasons that that God laid hold of Paul. First, um, turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 on page 1298. Paul does so well to chronicle his capture by the Lord for our benefit. In Romans chapter 6, he tells us that that God lays hold of him to make him a new man. Let's read in Romans 6 verse 4 together. Paul says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. This is the first thing that Christ has in purpose for each of us to be a new man turn over a page to Romans chapter 8 we'll read in verse 29 together now he conforms us into the image of Jesus 29 says for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren It's not enough that we're to call ourselves a believer. It's not enough that we're to leave some of our ways. It it has to be that we're conformed to the image of Jesus. And something else that that Paul shares with us is that the purpose that that he was conformed to Jesus' image is so he can be a witness to others. Turn back a few pages to Acts chapter 9 on page 1264. Acts chapter 9, page Let's read in verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. This is Paul. He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. This is among the things that Paul wants to grab a hold of. That he would suffer for Jesus' namesake. And that even in his suffering, even in his imprisonment, he would be able to witness to others. 
Paul tells us that he is not going to sit idly by and passively rest on his salvation on the last day. Instead, he wants to reciprocate what God has done for him by doing those things. It is far easier for us to just assume our salvation because we have said a prayer, we have walked an aisle, we have made a single decision and wait for eternity begin on our last breath. That is not what God has called us to. Turn back to Philippians chapter 3 with me on page 1350. In verse 13, Paul is going to use even more expressive language now to describe how he exerts himself to reach these spiritual goals like an athlete. Let's read verse 13 together. Paul says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward toward those things which are ahead. Now I know this sounds like he's just repeating the previous verse, right? He tells us again, to be sure, he's not apprehended all these things. He's not arrived. He's making that clear. But what he does do is he stretches out like a runner. Like, I don't really know the best way to do this, but to give you the image that Paul's trying to create, he is running towards the finish line, and he knows better than to look behind him to see how close his competition is. Because in doing that, He will lose a step and he'll lose the race. So instead, he stretches out towards that tape to win the race, to be the first, to achieve the goal. He doesn't worry about what is around him or who is behind him. But he stretches towards what is ahead for God's purpose. Oh, if we could get that. Oh, if we could quit measuring ourselves by the things of the world, the things that seem spiritual. If we could quit worrying about every misstep and every place the enemy is worrying and whispering in our ears, if we could instead stay laser-focused on the end and stretch out towards the things of God. In the first part, he says, I do not count myself to have apprehended. This is the same word that's used in the previous verse to mean grab a hold of. He repeats it for our benefit. And it's as if Paul is saying this whole life that we live is an ongoing race. It's not ending. We are constantly in this race and shouldn't be looking around or concerned with others or other things, but instead leaning forward towards the things that God has. Continually moving and not considering being motivated by, being displeased or overly pleased, either by what we've failed at or what we've accomplished. When Paul uses these athletic images in other places in Scripture, he is always talking about his labor as an apostle. See, Paul doesn't mention or really care about his burgeoning enterprise of tent making, right? He doesn't talk to us about how he got the latest, you know, brick oven in his house to make really great matzo bread. 
our mind may go to those things, but Paul does not. Any boasting that he'd even be tempted to do would only be in his labors as an apostle and the things of the Lord. Let's turn back one page to Philippians 2.16. He says it here, he says, Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. See, he uses this athletic image here, running or laboring in vain like an Olympian. Turn, uh, turn back uh, a few books to 1 Corinthians. Let's look in chapter 9 on page 1318. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, page 1318. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, we're reading verses 24 through 26. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore run thus, not with uncertainty, Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I may, excuse me, I myself should be disqualified. The point Paul makes here is that he refuses to rest on past achievements and success. And I'm pretty grateful that he didn't. I'm pretty grateful that Paul didn't just go to Corinth, plant a church, and say, now it's time to retire. Now it's time to go on a preaching tour and let everyone know how I made a successful church in Corinth. Not only because the gospel would not have spread at the pace it did, but because we wouldn't have these great letters that Paul wrote to these churches. Think about your past achievements and successes. Not just in your life with what you've achieved among friends, among your work, in your community, but think about the things you've achieved spiritually, things that the Lord has done. Those are great things, but the time now is not to rest on them, not to journal about them, not to remember them fondly, but to press forward beyond these things. These things are a precursor to things we haven't yet grabbed a hold of. Turn back with me to Philippians 3, page 1350. Verse 14, Paul's going to get even wordier than he has been till this point. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Toward the goal for the prize of the upward call which is in Christ Jesus. He can't say it any more ways than this. There is no prize for perfection that is in any direction other than towards the Lord. None. There's no perfection to be found in our success, in our wisdom, 
in our worldly achievements. There's no perfection even to be found in our spiritual achievements and what we think we've done by agreeing or aligning or receiving. It's only by stretching towards the things of the Lord. It's only by leaving the things that are our way and our own. I love all of the word pictures that Paul creates for us here. I imagine him trying to convey all of his spiritual feelings and all of the things that the Lord has shown him to consider our relationship and journey with the Lord are not linear or horizontal. They're not just back and forth, but in a sense, dimensionally and spiritually upwards. Think about these words. He says, towards the goal, for the prize of the upward call. I think about it like the difference between a car that can only go forward and in reverse and an airplane that can go up and down. Do you ever feel like you've made progress forward? Like the Lord has done something in you and you're, you're moving forward. And then a situation happens and you revert to something that the Lord's given you freedom over. Like you've taken two steps forward and one step back. Right where the enemy wants us. Right where the enemy wants us. And the Lord reminded me of something that he'd shown me this year. And I was so grateful to see it because for all the things the Lord is doing in me, I do some foolish things. And I take two steps back. I wander back to be influenced by things that the Lord has delivered me from. In those times, it's what the enemy wants to convince us that we are the same as we were before. That all has been undone. That we are a lost cause and there is nothing good in us. The Lord showed me that this is not true. Unless, of course, we remain in those places, that we refuse to leave them, that we continue in them. But if not, we're not back under their control, we're just under their influence. And we can leave that influence. See, so if, if the things of God were only linear and back and forth, then yes, that could be true, but they're not. They're upward towards Him. So while it may seem like we've taken two steps forward and one step back, at the same time, we have moved towards him and away from ourselves and away from the things of the enemy. This is what Paul is trying to convey to us. He is not perfect. He is not attained at all. But he presses forward for the things of God. I want to look at some of the other places that Paul elaborates on this a bit. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 in the church's Bible, page 1344. Just to your left a few pages. Ephesians chapter 2, page 1344. Paul's going to describe for us the incredible privilege that the Ephesians have had 
being a part of God's people, that even though they were Gentiles, the Lord has given them much. Let's read in Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, who has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is in the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. In the next chapter, or two chapters over, let's read in verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And Paul's going to urge them and urge us to live worthy of this calling we've just read about. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord... Right, The one who's been apprehended, who's been grabbed a hold of by the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called. Turn next to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, over a few pages to your right, on page 1356. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, page 1356. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, he similarly says that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. It doesn't say who calls you into the ways of perfection, who calls you into great worldly wisdom, who calls you into getting everything right. It says who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. See, perfection is being drawn towards God and moving towards God. It's understanding why God has grabbed a hold of us, allowing him to grab a hold of us, and clutching back to him and the things that he has before us. A few pages over in 1 Thessalonians, read in in chapter 4, verse 7. Paul says, For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Here's this word again, like sanctification is holiness. Part of the things that God is calling us to is not to use our best judgment, best ethical and moral standards, but holiness as he is holy. 
turn one more page to 1 Thessalonians 5. We'll read in verses 23 and 24 how this is to happen. Chapter 5, verse 23, Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful who will also do it. He who calls us is faithful. Our job is not to figure all things out. Our job is to move towards the one calling us and allow him to do in us the things that only he can do. Back to Philippians chapter 3 again on page 1350. Let's read together verse 15. Paul says, Therefore, let us, as many are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Paul's giving us a personal example to imitate. Saying those that are like him, that are spiritually mature, should have this mindset. A mindset that is focused on taking a hold of the things God has in store. A mindset that's not being complacent with past spiritual accomplishments. A mindset that is pressing towards the Lord in a manner worthy of our calling. Not as some would have had, a mindset focused on measuring their perfection and their completion. Paul's confident, though, he says, that if there are those in the Philippian church and those of us today who might disagree with this, that might think that perfection can be marked, that it can be measured, and that salvation yields comfortability, he's confident the Lord will reveal even to those. He's confident that the Lord will speak to and help figure out those that have got this all wrong. So let's shift back to this idea of perfection. Let me ask you this, maybe by a show of hands. How many of you are perfect? I know sometimes Deborah gives trick questions and we're all afraid to participate. How many of you want to be perfect? It's challenging because while that seems like a trick question, the answer is that we should want to be perfect. Our world has conditioned us in a few ways to be very confused by that statement. Perfection has become a spiritual vice grip. Those who feel like they've achieved perfection in some way by their own doing. Maybe you know some of these people. Maybe you've been some of these people. Some that think because of their time in the church, they have, re- they have achieved a level of 
spiritual piety, right? This is a, a time and service kind of thing. We've been here long enough. We've reached this. We're due. We've earned it. Others think that, well, Paul wasn't perfect, so why should we try be? In fact, Paul really warns us against that kind of thinking, right? I mean, we don't want to be those people, so we should abstain from it so that we all feel comfortable. Do I really want to be perfect? Certainly others will look at me weird. So remember in the beginning we talked about these, these two examples of perfection that Paul uses. I've been trying to reconcile this paradox all week, right? Because Paul says that he's not perfect, he's not arrived, and then at the end he, he uses the word we read as maturity or spiritual maturity that is a synonym. It comes from this word of perfection. So how can this be? Did Paul get it wrong? Was he confused? Is this translated incorrectly? In verse 1, uh, excuse me, in verse 12, the first time, he says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. The word that he uses here is a verb. That's important. And here, it's actually a, what's called a passive form of a verb doesn't mean that Paul was acting passively, but passive means something is done to you. So the perfected here that Paul is even talking about, he can't do himself. He makes that clear. It is done to him. The perfection that he describes is what is accomplished in him by God and the Holy Spirit. It's also ongoing. So he's telling us something very critical that he hasn't accomplished it all because Paul is still here. But not, you know, two things the Lord has shown me here. Two things the Lord has shown me in this word. The first is that Paul uses this word perfection in the worldly sense. In the pagan and philosophical manner to say that his wisdom, his spiritual prowess, so to speak, had gained him perfection. Had not gained him perfection. I'm sorry. I believe he uses this in the way that, that those in Philippi that were outliers, that those in the culture would have been thinking of this idea of perfection, of gain. He says, in that way... I'm not perfected. Of course not. It's a warning to us to not be perfected in the ways of the world. And I use that loosely because the church has been infiltrated in many cases by the world. We cannot be perfected in that way. Or even to the showy believers. All even, even the apostle work and prison ministry hadn't earned Paul a merit badge. See, even all that he had done hadn't allowed him to achieve this perfection. 
yes, those were things God was doing, but they're things Paul was doing. So those things didn't earn him perfection. The second thing is, perfection wasn't and isn't something we get to determine, ever. That's because perfection isn't our marker. It belongs to the Most High God. Sure, philosophers had their ideas and have their ideas of uh, being ethical, being socially just, this idea of religious perfection, but we know better, and so did Paul. Paul would not commit himself to the parameters that the world has made up, the Hellenized world, the Americanized world, to take a place that is God's alone, to designate. This to say, Paul uses, Paul used this first idea, Paul's use of this first idea of perfection is inconsequential. But it's also critical to understand why he uses this second idea. So turn down to verse 14. Paul says, therefore, let us as many as are mature. I know it's hard to see it because most of our translations say mature, but it says perfect. He says, therefore, let as many of us who are perfect have this mind. And the mind he's talking about is all the other things he's described. To say, if you're truly perfect, if you're truly spiritually mature, you understand how imperfect you are. I know that that, that boggles our mind. It's why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know that spiritually they're in poverty, that they need a savior. Those who are truly spiritually mature understand the depths of their imperfection. They understand the depths that God is going to, to perfect them. How can this be that Paul would include himself in this group and call them perfect? Well, the first answer is that he uses the adjective form here. The first form was a verb, and this is important in Greek language. So there's a sense that we can be imperfect in a sense because it's an action that is occurring to us. And there is a sense in which at the same time, we can be perfect, but not yet complete. Does that sort of make sense enough? Okay. Let me say it another way, because this word is challenging. This word can be translated as complete or full-grown, complete with character. And so the Lord's helped me to understand this as spiritually mature. If we are indeed spiritually mature, we know how immature we truly are. Turn with me to one other passage. Back to Matthew chapter 5 in the church's Bible on page 1116. Matthew chapter 5, page 1116.
So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this to us in chapter 5, verse 48. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now this, this seems to add fuel to the fire of Paul's paradox, doesn't it? Because if we, if we can't truly be perfect, why are we called to be perfect? Why would we be given this commandment? Jesus uses the adjective here of perfect that Paul uses and we read as spiritually mature. He doesn't use the verb. That may make no sense to you, but it is super important to understand because in, in, the, in the verb form, we cannot achieve this. It's an action that is incomplete until we are completely with Jesus. But as the adjective, we can be mature. We can be perfect in a sense. I know that, that that's almost impossible to comprehend, but it's here. Jesus wouldn't put an impossible commandment in his word. And he doesn't put an impossible commandment in his word. So what does this mean? It means that to be perfected is a lifelong process. Something that God is doing among those who are spiritually mature. Paul's desire to be found in Jesus, to know him and the power of his resurrection, to be conformed to his death, these things were happening to Paul and I believe now have been completed. Being spiritually mature though, this can happen. And I believe we are called to it by Jesus here in Matthew and by Paul in Philippians. We are called to to spiritual maturity. And all that includes grabbing hold of, pressing forward, receiving the call, and keeping it. The Lord has grabbed hold of each of us for his purpose. And in his purpose, he has things for each of us. More than just helping us to stop from sin more than just a job that makes us feel valuable and important more than just relationships where we receive from others the king of kings and the lord of lords has apprehended every one of us with intention each of you all of you your Savior is calling. Will you answer? Will you grab a hold of him as he has you? Do you desire him as he does you? I pray it would be so. Amen.